So would you stand with me, please, please, in the honor of reading Holy Scripture? First John, the book of First John, chapter 2, verse 20. The writer says this, But you have an anointing from the Holy One. Wait, wait. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's really key in order to grasp anything else I'm going to say tonight. Look at the passage again. Verse 20, 1 John 2. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I'm reading this, I believe, from the NIV tonight. Verse 27 of the very same chapter. The writer says, as for you, the anointing you've received from him. You see, he assumes you do believe that. As for you, the anointing you've received from him abides in you. And you need not that anyone teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you. Now look at these words. Remain, and he doesn't say remain in it. He says remain in him. Hmm. You may be seated, thank you. There are a lot of things in those passages, but because I want to lay hands on everyone tonight and take the appropriate time for it, I'm only going to draw out three. The idea of releasing anointing is, the idea that I have on it is this. God has deposited in you an amazing treasure. Not he may, he has. It happened in the moment of your new birth. When he put the treasure of who he is into your life. You are amazingly supplied. You, are, you have overabundance within your life. We see ourselves as people that are, how can I say, small, but he could do something big. That's not true. That's not true. When I say small, I understand we're to be humble and so on, but, but we see ourselves as, as as, in, as, as deficient. I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough wisdom. I need uh, more gifts. I need a greater anointing. I, we see ourselves all the time as little. I, I, I remember when I, I'd been trained by some of, the, some of the great voice of healing guys. I've mentioned one or two of them, but one of them was a great man of God. In fact, I don't know how back, far back your study goes on stuff, but he was the right-hand man for Charles S. Price. Now we're really cranking back time. That's before, probably when your, when your father was just learning to shave, or, or maybe not even born yet, maybe, maybe not even that. Uh, and, and, and when I met this man, who was his right-hand man, he was right at the very end of his life. Great anointing of God, great, great power with God. Um, but I remember he told me that in the days when he used to do long meetings, uh, where some of those old guys, and, and even I did some of these, where they'd go eight, nine, and ten weeks. We'd go into a city and not leave until we felt like God was through in that city. And, and that's what he did. But he told me, he said, Dale, he said, I never laid hands on people the first week in a, in a service for healing. Sometimes not until the end of the second week would I do that. I said, why? And he said, well, because we had to build their faith up to a point where they could even believe to receive. Now, that's the way he had it, or at least the way he believed God worked in his life, so that's just great. But I remember when God spoke to me about the anointing flow in my life, he said, Dale, he said, you'll never have a healing service, but what people will be visibly healed, identifiably healed, and they'll be identifiably healed, and I've never seen that fail. And he said, it'll happen from the very first day. He said, the very first day will show and house some of the great miracles that you'll see throughout an entire crusade. And I said, well, Lord, what about this thing about, you know, don't we need to get their 
their faith up where they can get that. And he said, now this is what he said to me. He said, my people have way more in them than what they know. I've already deposited it in them great things. All you have to do is draw it out, and that very first night they'll see that. So I don't come into town thinking like you're, you're way down there and i got to jack you up somewhere so you can get it. Maybe if you can get to my level, then you could have a great miracle in your life. Here's the truth. I believe you've got stunning stuff in you. And I'm not trying just to be optimistic and make you feel good about yourself. I believe you have the pearl of great price in you. I believe you have what it takes to meet every present need in your life. And I can take you to scripture after scripture that will actually confirm that. So what, I'm, what I want to show you tonight is not, not how to get anointing. And I realize that there comes increase in our life in these things. But here's what I found out. That if we would just start using what we've got, well, we would blow our city right out of the water. It really would. If every person in this place would function within the present revelation of God within their life, it would literally fill this house and transform this community. And we talked about how the fact that Western people think they just got to be educated in the more. If I could just understand it, you can tell me all of it, then I can get it. That's not really how it works. In fact, I believe this, that Pretty much anybody within uh, uh, our churches today are already educated way beyond their obedience. That if we would just start working with what we know, amazing things would spring forth and take place. So I want to talk to you about how to release the anointing of God in your life because there's nothing worse. So you do have an anointing. Some people think they don't have one, but, but you do. There's no one in this family that doesn't have an anointing. Uh, it's, it's a matter of, of not having it capped up within your life. So the elements, and there's just three of them I'm going to talk about, that help you release anointing to function within your purpose, your design, and your call. All right? Uh, those, those things look like this. See, the writer said that the first one I want to focus on was this. You have, but you have an anointing. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You have it. Let me tell you when it came. It came the day you got saved. It didn't come the day after you fasted and prayed. It didn't come the day after you studied a lot about it. It didn't come the day after you really, you know, uh, felt like you super dedicated yourself. It came in the moment of your new birth. You see, when someone gets saved, uh, it's a miracle. Do you understand that? It's a miracle. When someone gets saved, it's, it's not a matter of, of where, you know, you have presented to you, will you believe in God? Yes. Okay, well, what God? You got the, okay, we got the Buddhist door over here, you know, we've got the uh, Islam door over here, uh, and then we got the Christian door over here. W which one do you think's it? Uh, I guess uh, I'll, go with, I'll, go, I'll go with the Christian door. Bingo, you're in. Good job. When you die, you get to go to heaven. Oh, no, man, that's not it at all. Look, it's not the same, but it's similar. It's not the same, but it's similar. Last night, I talked about how that an angel named Gabriel came to a young lady in her early teens by the name of Mary and told her that she was going to conceive and she was going to bring forth a son. This one would be the son of God. His name would be called Jesus. She responds to him, well, I've never had relations with a man. How can that happen? And he said, well, the power of the highest is going to overshadow you. 
Remember we talked about that? And, uh, and that which will be born and you will be the son of God. And then he says, for with God nothing is impossible. So he tells her what's going to happen. There's going to be a moment in which God will come upon her. There will be the, the covering of the Lord will come on her. And there's going to be deposit. Now, this was not metaphoric. This was in reality. There was going to be a seed put in her. The seed of Christ was, did not come from Joseph, did not come from a man, did not come from a human being. It came from the almighty God himself. Do you believe that? Do you know that's true, that he was born of a virgin? All right? That's, that's absolutely a fact. All right? Now, it's not the same, but it's similar. When Peter talks about our new birth, he describes it like this. He says, you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed, by the word of God that lives and abides forever. That word of God is a person, not a sermon. Let me tell you what happens when someone gets saved, and everyone in this room that's saved understands this. There comes a moment. It's not the same, but it's similar, that that same power of the highest comes unto us. I mean, and he dwell, he comes within. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you know it the moment it happens. You know it. There's something significant. It's not a matter of, well, I studied and I learned and now I believe that thing. That's not, if that's what you've got, you don't have new birth yet. If you believe everything I believe about Christianity, but you believe it because you've been taught it and because it is the result of your investigation and your study, you are not part of the family of God yet. This miracle doesn't happen through our intelligence or our theological positioning. It happens because of Jesus. It takes Jesus for anyone to enter the kingdom. Not just a belief in him. It takes an encounter with him. And at that point, we are born again. And there is a spiritual seed put within us. That is of God himself. You are, in every sense of the word, a child of God. You get, are, you, are you tracking with me right now? So he has put, whoa, look at this. He's put his spiritual DNA in us. That is what has happened. His seed has been put within us. We came alive because he gave birth to us in the spirit. He didn't just look at us and say, well, your wrong is there, but your, your good is better, so I'll let you in. This has nothing to do with good and bad. This has to do with the birthing of God within our heart. Now, when he put that seed within us, you understand enough about genetics that you know that when a child is conceived, when he's conceived, not when he's born, when he's conceived, there is the mixing of that egg and seed that has come together and the DNA of that mother and father blend right there. Now, let me me tell you something you can't tell it by looking at that at that embryo right then but here's what you've got the very genetics of what that person would be is already written right there how tall that person will become is written in that DNA code what color hair they're gonna have it's written right in that DNA code right there right there and, and how long that hair will be on their head is written right there too whether they're gonna have all ten digits you get what I'm going at, don't you? Color their skin, all that is written in that DNA code right there. And the ability to, to function and be what you are, it's right there. So the, the DNA of the fish is what enables it to be able to draw oxygen out of water. You're not going to be able to do that. You don't have that in you. All right? The DNA of the bird is what allows him to be able to grow feathers and fly. And the DNA of what you are enables you to function and be what you are. Now, I've said all that to say this. When you get saved, he put his spirit within you. You're made in his very image. 
and the divine design of God has been set in you. And let me tell you about anointing. Anointing is enablement. May I say that out loud again? It's not just a sensation. It's not just a feeling. It's an empowerment. And, and you are anointed to be what you are. You need to know who you are in Christ. You need to embrace who you are in Christ. You need to love who you are in Christ because that's how you will function best. We sometimes, I think, in Pentecostal circles in particular, think that anointing is kind of like what is kind of like going through a buffet line. You know, I think I'd like to have one of that, and I'd like one of that, and I want a double portion of that one right there. And this other thing, that's never going on my plate. I can promise you that. But we think we hunt and pick anointing. That's not true. And you'll see people that act like that. They'll say, well, I want to have an anointing like her. And I, oh, I want to have an anointing to teach like him. Oh, I want to have an anointing to sing like that or to write songs like this one over here. And I have people come to me all the time and say, would you pray for me that I would get your anointing? And I'm thinking, I, I, I didn't come up with mine myself. How am I going to create it in you? Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I know I'm running all over the top of a lot of our religious concepts and background, but the truth is, is you are not that you can't touch or be impacted by anointings outside of the general function of your life, but I can promise you this, where you will function the greatest is within the design of God that you are in Christ Jesus. And the strongest anointing in your life will be in keeping with who you are. That's the way it truly functions. So you need to understand something, and I'm not trying to just, again, trying just to blow you up and make you feel good about yourself. There's nobody in this family that's a dud. God has not given birth to anyone in the family that's a do-nothing and just sits around until the trumpet sounds and then goes up. Everybody in this family has a functional strong point. Some are a hand, some are an eye, you understand, uh, some are a foot. But everybody's got a, got a functional point. And if, and if your place within the family is the foot, don't try to be a hand. If it's an eye, don't try to be a nose. Just discover who you are because that's what you have uh, anointing to be in Christ Jesus. And you do have an anointing from the Holy One. You do have an anointing from the Holy One. Now, so now the importance of understanding that you got the anointing is this. If you don't believe you have an anointing, then what you do is you sit around barren and unfruitful most of the time waiting for that to come. Asking people to pray for you to get an anointing, sit around feeling because you don't have a high spiritual buzz at the moment, you think there's no anointing within your life, and so you sit around dormant waiting for that to come in your life, and then you're missing opportunity, opportunity, and after opportunity of actually functioning in a fruitful way. If you know you got it, come on, then you'll start acting different. But it can't just be a cognizant. You've got to get this within your spirit. Now, the second thing I want to point out to you, is, and, and the first one is this, is you've got to believe what I said earlier, that you have an anointing. The scripture says you does, and you do rather, and so here you are, you have an anointing. But the second one is this, the, uh, that I will draw out. It says the anointing you've received from him remains in you. Now I'm going to address particularly old-time Pentecostal people when I talk here, because uh, some folks that have come in from non-Pentecostal churches, they don't even have a philosophy about anointing, and the newer folks don't know what in the world we're talking about. But for some of you old-timers, here's what we had. We had an idea that anointing comes and goes. 
We talked about anointing coming on a person. We talked about anointing uh, lifting off a person. We could tell when the preacher had the anointing because, uh, because you know, it wouldn't be when, he, when, when you saw him, you know, uh, just in the foyer, of course, you know, or I mean, not even during the song service when he's sitting there looking at his Bible and his notes. And a lot of times he didn't have it when he first got in the pulpit because when he first got in the pulpit, he was, you know, he was preaching like I'm preaching right now. But somewhere in that message, he went from doing this to preaching just like this. And when he started preaching just like this, I'm telling you, we said, my God, he's got the anointing now. <laughs> and of course, when he got through preaching and went back to the foyer and was just shaking hands with you as he went out the door, we knew the anointing had gone. <laughs> because we associated anointing as something that comes and goes, and we aligned it with what we sensed in the moment. Now, not all of that is how can I say this? Not all of that is like a terrible idea because we formulated that idea because when anointing is functioning at a high level, it can affect literally every level of your makeup. So when there is a flow of anointing, there is the, it comes out of the spirit, all right? And sometimes that's the only place we recognize it. But if, it, but if, it, but if it's in, in a higher flow, it can get to the point that it's not just something you feel within your spirit, it affects your very emotions. It, it, it will bring strength and joy where you've been struggling and, and confused. And, then, and it can even rise to a level that actually impacts this house of flesh. So sometimes people do stuff when they have an anointing flow in their life. Uh, I mean physical. They do stuff. Some of the stuff you don't like. You think it's weird. Uh, other times it may not be weird at all. When, when Samson had an anointing flow working in him, he could grab a lion and tear him in two. All right? Uh, so, uh, but it, it was, I mean, there was strength there. It was physical. It was spiritual, but it was physical that came there. So, uh, come on. Uh, so the anointing, when it's functioning, when it's flowing in one's life, can often be detectable at various levels of your makeup, and possibly at every level of your makeup. And, and, and I, I'm not going to go down this road far, but I will throw it out to you. Don't believe. Listen, sometimes as Christians, we think that the part of us that is holy and pure is our spirit, and that the soul, oh my God, you don't want to be soulish, you know, because uh, that has to do with your will and your feelings and your emotions. And then the flesh, we know, is rotten to the core and really should just be shot. But we got to live here, so we got to hang on to the thing for a while. But that's not really true. You know, when God made man, he made him spirit, soul, and body. Now, hear what I'm saying to you right now. He made him, he did, he, man was not, Adam was not just spirit, and then after the fall, he got a will, emotions, and a body to live in. That's not what happened. He made him that way, and God made you that way, and I'm going to tell you something, my friend. You need to know how to react to him, how to respond to him is a better word, and how to function with him at every level of your makeup, not just your spirit. For people think, well, this is just things of the spirit. No, it's not. It's actually to affect even the way you think and the way you feel, and it should, it should transform this pleasant body that we're in, too. And, and energize it. So, uh, so look for that to happen at every level. Now, all that said is to say this, because what I've just said to you is actually true, whether you recognize it or not, is actually true, then some of us have got the idea that the only time the anointing was present is when it was feelable. 
And so because we had moments in which we sensed the anointing, felt the anointing, we knew it was bona fide. It was really something that God was doing. We assumed that it was only there when we were cognizant of it. Can I tell you that the anointing that you've received of him abides with you? It remains in you. It does not come and go because we remain in him. The anointing actually is the fountain or the source of your anointing is Christ himself. Did you all hear this? The Spirit himself is indeed that which constitutes and is the fountainhead of our anointing. He never leaves. He's always there. You are never without the well of anointing. If you grasp that, if you understand that, then again, it will eliminate large spans of barrenness within your life. If you don't understand this, then what you do is you sit around doing nothing most of the time, saying, I'm just waiting on the anointing, brother. I'm just waiting on the anointing. When the anointing comes, then out, good night, the anointing's there. Learn how to pull on it. Learn how to put a demand on what God has put in you by Christ Jesus. Am I helping anyone tonight? Yeah. It's really true. It's there. And it's there all the time. All the time. I know. And I, I know that. And, and anyone that uh, has functioned consistently in ministry understands what I'm saying. And not that you couldn't know it other than that, but anybody that functions consistently in ministry understands what I'm saying. When I say consistently, see, if, you just, if, you're, if you're someone pastor uses to speak occasionally, you, you might not understand this. Uh, uh, you know, if you sing, but you only sing once in a while, you may not understand this. You could, but you may not. But anyone that's got to do it all the time, here's the deal. You got to do it all the time, then that means I can promise you, you're going to be stuck doing it when you don't feel like it. You get that? Hello? It's a good thing they can't see your face right now. Because sometimes we feel like we're on top of the game, and other times we don't feel like we're on top of the game. And sometimes we're strong in this body, and sometimes we're hurting in this body. But anybody just had to function in it on a repetitive basis, here's what they find out. And I've had it happen in my life plenty of times where I'm sitting in that seat and I may be fevered or I may be weak, I may be exhausted, I may be down, and then there comes the moment and they bring me to the stage. And something happens from the time I get up from that seat to the moment I stand behind this desk right here. And there comes an energizing that I did not have in myself. And whatever was weakened in that body is no longer weakened anymore. Come on, anybody that's, come on, anybody's ever play, sing, whatever, teach, knows exactly what I'm talking. If you had to do it on a repetitive basis, you're gonna, it's not that you're smarter than anybody else. So they know, they're, not, they're not smart enough. No, that has nothing to do with smartness. It has to do with the fact that you're stuck doing it so frequently. You're often going to be in a place where you're not necessarily as high as you are at some other times. But here's what you'll find out, that the power of God yet arises within you. It rises within. You know why? Because it's there. It's an abiding anointing. Now, if you'll just understand that, then here's what you'll do. You'll pull on that anointing. You'll draw on that anointing. You'll lean on that anointing instead of sitting back and saying, I wish I had it. Hmm. The anointing that you have abides in you. Abides in you. Just step up to the plate. Do it. Step up to the plate. You'll find out you'll hit a home run. You will. Step up to that plate. It'll work. It'll truly work. Wow. Praise God.
Now, the final thing that I'm going to tell you is, is this out of the passage. There's so much there, but uh, let me say this. Uh, the writer goes on to say it, the anointing remains in you. Uh, and then he said, you need not that anyone teach you. But his same anointing teaches you about all things. It's truth and not counterfeit. And like it's taught you, you remain in him. So let's talk about the teaching thing. Because I've been saying to you this week that you don't learn your way into the kingdom. That's not how it happens. You don't, you don't get educated into these things. That's not how they take place. Not that there isn't a place for teaching, but, but that's not how you grasp them. That's not how you grasp them. Uh, they're imparted. You know, the old-time Pentecostals used to say it like this. It's better caught than taught. And uh, because we started hating phrases, we didn't like that, but it was really true. Now, let me explain what I mean when I say what the, let me explain what the scripture means when it says, and you need not that any man teach you. What, what John is not saying, he's not saying that now that anointing has come, we no longer have teachers. Uh, you know, God said that he has, when he talked about the fivefold ministries, he said he has set some, and he starts listing these people or these giftings, and he said, and one of them was this, he has set some teachers in the church. So, so he has set teachers in the church. The anointing has not unset them. He has set Teachers. He's established teachers in the church. And anybody that understands teaching also knows that when you teach, you teach with anointing. All right? So, so he's not saying that there's, that there's no point of teaching or that teaching is irrelevant. What he's saying is you can't teach someone into the anointing. Does that make sense now? All right? Um, let me give you this illustration, and then we'll start anointing people. Um, my daughter, we lived, when we lived in South Carolina, she became of the age to drive a car. How many understands, Mom and Dad, that's a great time for you to champion over fear. But anyhow, my daughter got her, you know, her, her license to drive. And she learned to drive in her mother's vehicle, a minivan. After she got her license, now I have a, a, a little two-seater sports car, all right, with a stick shift I had. And I said to her, I said, now, Ash, here's what we're going to do. I says, I'm going to teach you how to drive a stick shift. She said, now, why would I want to do that? I've already got my license. I said, I understand that, but you've learned on an automatic transmission, and you might get stuck someday where you don't have an automatic vehicle offered to you, and what are you going to do if you don't know how to drive stick? Now, how many in this room knows how to drive a standard vehicle, all right? I know I'm in the right kind of crowd out here, all right? So I, so I said to her, I said, now look, I said, I'm going to teach you how to drive a standard vehicle. So we're going to take my little car out in the country, way out into the country, and then after I've had two Valiums, we're going to, oh God, did I say that out loud? Did I say that? I didn't hear that? No, no. Uh, then I'm going to put you into that driver's seat, all right? So, uh, so we went way out into the country, and then I I, I, we switched sides, and she sat down there, and I said, and I said, well, let me talk to you about driving a standard shift now. Now, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you and tell you exactly what I told her and the way I said it to her. I am not dramatizing this to make it fit a nice sermon moment. This is exactly what I said, and this is precisely how I said it to her, all right? So you get the idea. You got this 16-year-old girl sitting there in this little sports car now, going to drive a stick for the first time. And I said, there are just some things you need to understand about driving a standard shift automobile. So first, if you will, please look at the floor. If you look at the floor, you will see that there are three pedals down there 
not to. You have the gas pedal, you have the brake. My God, don't forget the brake. And then there is another one that you've not seen, and that is the clutch. I said it just that fast, just this rapidly to her. I said, now here's how it works with this car. You've got to take that clutch and you've got to push her all the way to the floorboard. You can't push it halfway down, three quarters of the way down, not in this vehicle. You have to push it down until it touches. Now, when you do that, please look over to the right because you will see from there there's a stick coming up out of the floor and there's numbers on the top. Better one, two, three, four, five, and then an R for reverse. I said it just this fast and mind blowing to her, all right? And, uh, and I says, here's what you've got to do. You've got to push that clutch all the way to the floor. Then you've got to take this stick over here and you've got to push it into the number one. Now, when you do that, you got to go ahead and get your foot on the gas pedal at the same time. If you look at the dash, please, you're going to see something there that you've not seen before because you've been used to seeing a speedometer and, and something like, you know, a, a gauge that shows you the pressure of your oil. But now you got something else in here. you got a tachometer on that. That tells you how fast that motor is going around. Now, uh, you have to get that motor up to speed before you can let that clutch go. I said it just this fast to her. Now, her head is going, oh, my God. And I said, in this vehicle, uh, you got to get it up to about 1,500 RPM. At 1,500 RPM, what you do is you start pushing that gas pedal down just a little bit and start letting that clutch out at the same time. If you do it right, it'll slip right in the, in the first gear like that, and, and away you go. All right? Now, but you got to get her in second gear because you can't go very far in first with this one, so you got to shift it at some point. Now, with this particular vehicle, you can shift it, and the best time to do it is about 4,500 RPM. If you take it down too low, it'll buck real bad like this, you know? Take it up too high into the red, it'll blow my motor up, and I won't be happy with that. So don't go too low, because then we'll need chiropractic treatment after we're through. And don't go too high, because I still want to drive the car out of here, all right? I said, then once you take that baby up to about 4,500 RPM, jam that clutch all the way to the floor, shove that thing into number two, let that clutch right back up, and you're moving along just great. Did you get that? No. She was rattled. She was literally rattled. He, he had both her hands on this steering wheel like this. And she took a big, deep breath and said, I think so. <laughs> I said, okay, good. I said, then there's just one other thing you need to know about driving a standard shift automobile. And she went just like that. She was looking out that windshield like this, and she went like that. And she said, what is that? And I said, the only other thing you need to know is that when you know how to drive a standard shift, you won't pay attention to anything I just said because you'll actually drive it by what you hear and what you feel. Am I right? Any of you drive standard knows. Now, it's not that what I told her wasn't true. All of it was true. All of it was true. You had to get that clutch down, you had to get the RPMs up. All of that was true, but you all know and I told her this, I said, listen, listen what, I just taught, what I just told you is, is all true, but that's not how you'll really do it. You'll feel it. You'll feel it when you're lugging that baby, and you'll feel it when you're winding it out. You'll know, and you'll hear it too. Because sometimes you're going to get in a vehicle, and the tack may be broke. You say, well, I can't drive then. Oh, yeah, you can. You can do just fine. You'll do just fine. You won't even pay attention to the tack. I says, and, and truth is, is this, is, this is a little two-seater car. If you... If you drive a, you know, if you drive a, a pickup truck, shift point's going to be altogether different. Where, where, where its sweet spot is will be altogether. And you drive a bus, it's going to be altogether different from that. So, so you're, all the stuff I just told you, when you really know how to drive standard, you won't pay attention to any of it. You'll actually hear it and feel it. Are you catching the analogy? 
We want someone to sit us down and explain to us all of the details of anointing. Now, what do I do first? And then what do I do then? And, and then what am I supposed to say? And, and, and how am I supposed to pray? No, and how long am I supposed to pray? Now, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that that stuff isn't there. But when you really function in anointing, it won't be a formula. Can someone take notes about what you did and write them down? Yeah, they can. And you can tell other people that too, but it still won't work for them. Because you really don't function in anointing through all the stuff you've figured out. You'll feel it. And I don't mean just a sensation. It'll resonate within your soul. It will. And you'll hear it. You will. That voice of the Lord. Let me tell you what causes anointing to rise in my heart time after time. It's those moments when he has spoken to me. And I go back to those moments. I remember those words of the Lord. I remember them. I remember what he says. I remember my wife and I will talk about that time that I shared with you when he said, because you purposed in your heart. I remember that. I remember that moment I talked to you about Sunday morning when I was sitting as a 12-year-old boy in a camp meeting in New York and the Holy Ghost spoke to me while the preacher was preaching and said, Dale, I want you to be an evangelist in North America. I remember that. I remember when I stepped out of R.W. Schambach's office about 10, 11 years ago and the Holy Ghost said to me, I'm taking you now to the nations of the world and I knew that was the end of the pastoring moment there. I thought I would plant more churches. Well, I actually do, but they're overseas. They're not here. I remember, I can take you to the spot in that hallway when it came to me. And when I'm struggling, I remember those moments. I remember those moments. And they are one of the catalysts that open up the anointing flow that's already in here, the well right here. Come on, you know moments like that in your life, don't you? Where he has spoken to you, and they become a bedrock for you. They are. You know what I'm talking about. Those moments he spoke those things into your spirit, you heard them, and they resonate within you. Wow, that's what anointing functions like. You don't think you have to get some kind of seminary degree before you can do these things. No, it's already in you. You just got to learn how to tap it, that's all. And the only way you'll do that is you got to jam that clutch down and put that baby in the first. And you got to feel what it's like when it slips in and when you're grinding. You don't know how to drive a standard. Someone needs to teach you so you can understand the message tonight. <laughs> Would you stand with me all over the house? I got, yeah, let's, let's have the whole band come on up. Uh, I got to use that example as much as I can because we're coming into days in which no one will know what a standard transmission is anymore. You know, I mean, really. Really, I got a, I got a two-seater now, and it's a paddle shift. It's just something sick and wrong about that thing. It's a standard without a clutch. What is that all about? There's no fun in that whatsoever. That's just wrong, isn't it? You know that had to be the devil. Come up with that idea. Standard without... <laughs> I grew up in the muscle car days. <laughs> well, 
They got me the oil tonight. Do you see that? Some of you are looking at what's in that bowl. It's going to be on your head in a minute. The Bible says to anoint is to smear, so I don't like to do the little tiny dab, but I'm not going to baptize you either, so don't get worried. And I'm not going to throw it all over your clothes. Well, I know I was supposed to have a towel to wipe up with. You have one like that? All right. There we go. There's the youth pastor. He's off. Sometimes I think of this moment of anointing. Well, I do believe there's moments of impartation. I do believe in that. Um, there's, a, there's more to one, one subject than you can talk about in one night. But sometimes I think anointing, and I'm going to have to talk to you that are over 40 again, maybe over 60, but, but some of the others will understand what I'm saying. Boy, I'm telling you what, you got enough for me to take a shower there. Thank you, buddy. Um, when I was a boy, we used to hunt out on my friend's grandmother's property. We had an agreement with her. We'd plow the garden and plant it, which was acres, uh, with her old Farmel crank tractors. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I'm old crank babies. And, uh, and then in exchange for that, we got to use the tractor with our, uh, uh, with, with our what, what do you call trailer to haul our tent and food and equipment way out at the end of her property where there was open woods and we'd stay back there for three days. Now, we get our water out of a pump well, one of them red pump wells. Some of you know what I'm talking about? And here's the thing you could do out there. You could wear your arm flat off pumping that thing and no water would ever come out of it unless you primed it. You see, that was that was one of those wells that you had to have that little tin cup hanging on the front of it. And anybody that knew what they were doing knew that you had to take that water out of that cup and pour it down into the shaft. And then as you pumped it, it would cause the suction and it'd come on up. And when you got through with the water, unless you were rude and very mean, your job was to fill that cup back up and hang it back on that pump before you left because it was essential that there'd be something to prime that pump for the next person. And sometimes I just wonder if these moments like this aren't necessarily giving you something that you don't have. I wonder if they're more like just priming what's going on. Because I've sure had the times where people have laid hands on me and it wasn't like something came out of there. It's something came up out of here. And I'm going to believe God for that in your life. I'm going to believe for a well to rise up within you. And it's more than just that. There may be impartations that will also take place in that way, but I don't think you get much of an impartation beyond what your design is. But I do believe when I put my hands on you in Jesus' name that what you are in Christ Jesus can rise up to a whole other level. That's what I'm believing for tonight. But not just for you. I'm believing that to rise up in every generation that's connected to you. Because our God thinks generationally. He identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even when he talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit, he said the promises to you and to your children and to all that are for all the generations all the way to the day that he appears. 
Even concerning salvation, when the jailer was asked the question of, of Paul and Silas that they had beat up so severely and put him into the prison, and then when, they, when God shook that prison and, and set everybody free, that jailer came in and he said, what must, he said he didn't understand God, so he asked a very limited question. He said, what must I do? I, me, me, what do I have to do to get saved? And God couldn't even answer that small. He answered him back. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your whole house. He thinks generationally. That night, the whole house was converted. The whole house got water baptized. Can you imagine that? He's just thinking about himself, but God's thinking way beyond that. He's a God of generational blessing. Abraham's asking for one son. Can you give me an Isaac? All I want is a boy to take the inheritance that I'm leaving behind, and God can't think that small. So he takes this old gentleman out that's almost 100 years old at night one night, and he says, look up into the sky, Abraham. Uh-huh. You see the stars? Of course. Can you count them? Well, I don't know. Let me see. One, two, three. Oh, you know, I'm never going to be able to count all those stars. God says to him, that's what your seed is like. You hear this? We're thinking about that's like what children will be like. And he said, that, this is a guy that doesn't know that he has any seed in him anymore. God says, that's what your seed is like. He takes him for a walk into the, into the seashore. Do you see all the grains of sand here? Yes, sir, I sure do. He says, yeah, yeah. can you count them all? <laughs> I don't think so. He, that's what your seed's like, man. He thinks generationally. When I lay hands on you, I'm believing God for you to rise up and, and hit the bullseye of the will of God in your life. I'm looking for an anointing flow in your life that is in keeping with that, which is the divine design. But I'm believing God for your whole household that same way. I'm believing God that not one will be lost. Not one loss. But let me tell you how I pray for my kids. I'm not just praying my kids will make it to heaven. I mean, that's great, but that's, that's not where I'm going. I'm praying that when they get there, they're going to get to hear the well done. Not, oh my God, you made it, didn't you? I'm so surprised. I don't want to hear that. I want, I want them to be able to look at every one of us, and I live for that word. Let me tell you, my family knows that. I live for the moment. And he will look at me, and I pray this is it. He says, well done. Well done. I mean, I, I believe in the mansion thing and the street of gold and all that, but I have very little focus on that. I'm living for that moment. And he would look at me and say, well done. I was pleased. That's heaven right there, man. That's heaven right there. When I put this oil on you, I'm going to believe God for power in your life and fruitfulness in your life not just to stop with you, but every one of your kids and your grandkids and your aunts and your uncles and your cousins, come on, the whole thing, that they would hit the very bullseye of the will of God, that they would complete what is the divine design within their life, and that together we'll hear the Master say that to us. Anybody want that tonight? That's what we're going to do. So when you come on up, here's what I want you to do. I think we'll just start with this side. We're going to form one line, and I want you to walk right by me. Because I'm... I, 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 uh, I want to make sure we get to everybody so I don't want to just clump you in the front where it's so hard to get to you all. And when you come on up, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come up with an attitude of prayer. Don't just be talking with someone behind you in line or looking at your Facebook on your phone. Would you come with your hands raised up, with your heart open up to God? 
would you worship the Lord? This uh, worship team is going to do that. You can worship right along with them. When I come to you, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to put the oil on you, and I want you to keep moving because there's other people behind you. Now, don't walk right out of the anointing moment if you can avoid it. If you don't actually have to leave the building right on the spot, then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm, I'm not begging you to say till everyone's been anointed, although you're welcome. That's not what I'm asking. What I am asking is that... Um, that before you walk out, you at least kneel down somewhere or sit in your seat again and just soak in it for a minute and let him open to you. Let him talk to you about who you are. Let him speak to you of who you are. And then at some point, you're going to want to you're going to want to wipe that off, but I believe God's going to put an oil on you that we can't see and we can't touch that won't be wiped off. That'll mark you in Jesus' name.